With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Tuesday, April 27th. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, a few days before Notre Dame's Annual, uh, almost annual, blue-gold game in Notre Dame Stadium. No fans, students, parents, a few media, including us, will be there on Saturday. But, you know, I'm not really big on predictions about what's going to happen in a blue-gold game because it's really a crapshoot. But some of the things, guys, that you're looking forward to seeing, some individual matchups, some things that you uh, are interested in seeing on Saturday. I'm interested to sort of see receivers try to make one-on-one plays. Um, you know, can, can we see something from, I think keys and Lindsay in particular that you would think like, all right, you know, I, either Lindsay's back to two years ago or, or keys is able to stay healthy. And then I've, I'd be interested to sort of see Baker and uh, Fisher in sort of pass pro situations. Um, you know, get handling a speed rush. Uh, I, I feel like we've seen a, a few clips where sometimes they do a nice job of it. Sometimes they don't, but uh, I think to be sort of a, a high end offensive tackle at the college level, you got to do a nice job of it 98% of the time. So can they, can they hit more of that mark? So the, mostly offensive side of the ball, I think is what I'm interested in. Yeah, I'm with you on Baker and Fisher, also Spindler, but uh, the outside, um, I mean, we haven't seen Baker in a college practice. He's a redshirt freshman. It's incredible when you think about it, you know, because of last last August. Uh, mm-hmm. Baker and Fisher against those ends, and the beauty of that is it doesn't matter if they're getting end one or end two or defensive lineman two or three maybe with Spindler. They have their hands full. So that that's the defensive line I think is going to have a great day um, just to, by the nature of the game trying to move people around is – they have better players right now than the, than the offensive line and the backups. Um, I don't know. A guy like Lawrence keys is supposed to have a great spring. So I want to see him look different. I'd like to see guys. I, I haven't seen enough of like Xavier Watts. Um, I mean, Johnson, obviously I want to see him out there. Cam Hart comfort level, Cam Hart in coverage against somebody that's an, an elite quick receiver. I don't know about that with the hips and everything. Uh, and I'd like to see Houston Griffith tackle and not uh, catch the running back as they collide together after an 11-yard gain or, or however that works out. Yeah, that was the – I saw that you had that in the Monday Musings, and that was on my list too. I want to see the physicality of Houston Griffith and Shane Simon. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. – you know, they've done some interesting things with Shane Simon where he just kind of kind of run blitzes and, and scatters things up a little bit up front, kind of forces him to be a little bit more physical which I think is a, a pretty good role. And that's the whole idea of the Marcus Freeman defense is to create havoc, some chaos up front, which then trickles down and helps you on the back end. But anything involving anything involving defensive ends versus offensive tackles, right? Pass yeah. protection, pass rush. Mm-hmm. I want, and we want to see that. Fisher, I think Fisher has done really well in the clips that we've seen. Baker, I thought the move to right tackle is a really good move. I think that's a, a better fit for him. 
and MTA who's looked really good rushing the passer and Foskey who's kind of been hit and miss again, based upon the clips that we get, I want to see those matchups. I want to see us safety play well. Right. One's right. <laughs> us right. safety. One, one's, one's good enough. Cause you know, the other ones, the other ones coming back will be, uh, is on the way. Um, and we haven't even mentioned anything about quarterbacks. Obviously, we'll be keeping an eye on quarterbacks as well. I think we all want to see, for the case of summer message board and Twitter implosion, Tyler Buckner win the MVP of the game because that <laughs> would be a good time. <laughs> Just out there, 12 passes, 10 complete, three touchdowns. All the Jordan Johnson. <laughs> yeah, all, all the Jordan Johnson or something along those lines would be. I don't know. Would that be better or would it be more fun if people are like torn maybe, and it all goes to Takis? Maybe all the I think, I think you skip ahead to Lorenzo Styles to really throw like <laughs> yes. a wrench in the, in all the off season message board works. That would be fun. There might be a few players that can't win the MVP because the coaching staff may cut it off before it reaches that level. <laughs> That's a good point. Like, nope, get him out of there. Get him out of there. <laughs> uh, some guys that you have been impressed with that have shown up on a regular basis. I'll start with Myron Tagovailoa Mosa. And I wrote about this in the film uh, review the other day. He has been, he has looked much better at defensive end than I ever anticipated. Brian Kelly kind of admitted that himself. Yeah. He just looks like he's been unleashed a little bit on the edge. Plus he's lost a little bit of weight. I think he's looked great. Jack Kaiser is always around the football. Always, always, always around the football when we see a clip with him on the field. Um, Heinish looks good. I want to see more keys because he obviously has had a good spring. And I think the two, the two freshman offensive linemen, Fisher and Spindler, I mean, you got, I think you got to be really impressed with those guys. They seem very fundamentally sound and aware of what they need to do. Those are some of the guys that have, have jumped out to me. I would, I mean, Michael Mayer has been pretty good. In the clips <laughs> that we've seen. So kind of a, I, kind of a given, yeah, kind of a given on that one, but yeah, I think that, Chris Tyree is not quite a given in the way that Mayer is, but I do think he has looked better in a significant way, like more powerful running, but a little more like Kyron Williams. Um, I think that's been thing. You know, I would, you know, a couple older guys, Bo Bauer and Jason Adam Alola, I think both have, have flashed quite a bit in the clips that we've seen, maybe more Adam Alola at the beginning of spring. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess I would just, Tag on Riley Mills there too. Sure. Um, I mean, he looks like a million bucks, and I think his his play is starting. You're starting to see more of him in the in the clips that we get to. Tim, I think- before Tim, before you jump into that, let me insert something here about Mills. The play the other day when Leofau just run blitz and and the the tackle in the end zone, Mills off the snap of the football occupied the right tackle and the right guard which prevented Christophic yeah. from sliding down to make any kind of contact with Leofal and, and the tight end. Like he, I think he distracted Christophic and then split Takis and Baker. I think, I don't know if we're uh, talking about the exact same play. Maybe the I'm one where Tyree got rocked in the end zone um, and for a safety. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that he reached all three. <laughs> Um, I mean, he split the the tight end yeah. and the tackle. Um, anyway, I don't just know. a yeah. just a great individual play that allowed another individual to make a play. Tim, go ahead. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm I'm actually glad you inserted that because we first heard um, MTA might move to end 
in December. And I remember thinking, I don't picture him as an end, but you know what? Look at all those defensive tackles. Someone's got to do it. He's not going to say, I don't want to do it, because that only helps your pro potential probably if you're MTA. Mm -hmm. The fact that he's good at it is almost secondary to the fact that you have guys like Riley Mills and Jason Adamiola that can already do all the stuff you just said. You are now absolutely using your talent perfectly by getting your third defensive tackle, Riley Mills, and your fourth defensive tackle, Howard Cross, on the field more by moving Cross to nose tackle, moving no, Mills out, moving that, MTA out. I that's mean, great decision-making by a coaching staff behind yeah. the scenes that a lot of times is very underrated. And if MTA is more than solid, then whoa, what a benefit you got. Because he was going to be fine. He wasn't not going to be pretty good against – he was going to be good against the run, right? There was no chance he yeah. was going to not hold up against the run. So if he's better than that, but then don't boy, you, like, really Don't you guys see him as – and again, I, you know, people say, well, you can't decide anything based upon three minutes. Well, how many snaps have we seen MTA involved in? 55? 60? Right. Well, if you can't tell what you got there after seeing 55 <laughs> or 60 snaps, then what are we doing here? I, I, I You know, I, I'm surprised – at his agility. Maybe it's because he's lost weight. Maybe it's because like he talked about when there's a double team, well, the double team now comes from a tight end, not another lineman. Yeah. And I want to throw Bo Bauer. Pete mentioned Bo Bauer. That's why I asked Marcus Freeman, can you play Bauer and white together? Because we've known for the last two years that it wasn't going to happen, whether it could happen or not. We were positive. It wasn't going to happen. Bo Bauer said he wasn't cross training. Clark Lee said he wasn't cross training and they weren't going to put two guys that struggle in pass coverage next to each other. It seems like Marcus Freeman is going to find a way for those guys to be next to each other once in a while. And I like it because it won't be on, you know, Drew White can come off the field on every passing situation. And in blitzing situations, you have Leah Fowle and maybe Shane Simon now. Bo Bauer has already played nickel. Um, I like the four inside linebackers now, whereas last year I liked one of them. Think about Leah Fowle, Bauer, and Kaiser on the field as – in passing situations. In, in passing situations, yeah. I mean, that, is a, that is a really good group of linebackers <laughs> against But before the we get away from Drew White, Drew White is the best run-stuffing linebacker on the team, including Bo Bauer. And I know people are going to say, well, I've seen film of Bo Bauer. Drew White has done it on the field against Georgia and against North Carolina and against Clemson. Yep. Drew White has a role on this team, but I like the fact that his role isn't a 600-snap person like it had to be a couple of years ago when they had no other linebackers. Well, Madeline and I were texting about this the other day. Like, who's the Notre Dame's leading returner in tackles for loss? It's Drew White. Drew White. And he's the leading returner in stuffs for two years running, and he had a guy named Usu Koromo on his team. Yeah. I mean, he's a run-stuffing you know, machine. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe you don't – Maybe I mean, maybe you just don't pull White off the field in every passing situation. I think I think Marcus Freeman's probably a little bit more open-minded about that. Uh not that Clark Lee was closed-minded. I mean, you're 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 matching up. I get that. Yeah, but maybe that's a possibility. Um, hey, having four linebackers who can play—that's good. That is good. Yeah, yeah. We'll take that, right? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. All right, we. Uh, I was going to address some other topics, but I don't want this segment to run too long. We'll address in segment two coming up. Burning up the boards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Burning up the board, segment two, starting with a question from Mac341. Who has a breakout performance at the spring game that gets everyone talking about him over the summer? I mean, offensively, it's hard to go away from Davis and Keys, right? As it seems like Davis is the guy that you trust the most to make some plays. Although Davis is going to play a quarter. So I guess Keys. I'll go with Keys on that. Um, I don't know how the running game is going to get to handle that defensive front. So it's hard to say Tyree for me. Now, the key to Tyree is if he gets his foot in the ground once it goes, then he just had a breakout 90-yarder, and that can get you talking for the entire summer. Uh, Defensively, I hope it's Foskey. I hope we see Foskey look like a bend the corner pass rusher that uh, that they def- that they need to be a great defense. So you're saying the performance that gets people talking and then sticks in the fall, not the performance that gets people talking and then you're like, what happened to him? No, oh, yeah, that could be the that could be a. I mean, Sebo Flemister's probably got the most yards rushing, right? But that's yeah, not gonna that's going to be yeah. my pick because you know yeah. he's going to play hard right. every yeah. single second yeah. and opportunity he has and play and a lot. So, yeah, yeah, and get a get a sliver and break it and break a tackle and, and look good. Yeah, and he breaks tack- he'll break tackles. He'll break plenty yeah. of tackles in this game. Yeah. Foskey would to me, Foskey maybe Batello, but like one of those two guys, if they whipped um some of the offensive tackles, I don't think that necessarily would be a bad thing because you have Jared Patterson to like maybe help that in the fall. And I do think I mean, this defense, you know, the secondary is what it is. Um, but I think the pass rush is where, like, they can really ramp it up a notch or two. Um, I think it, the secondary is going to be saved by the pass rush. If it gets – if it if the secondary is really good this fall, I think it's because Notre Dame's pass rush surprised us. Yeah, I agree. And I think that pass rush is, is created by a lot of scheme, by moving people around, different-looking fronts. That's why I like Botello coming off an edge and just not – you know, the offensive line just not picking it up and, and him making a big player too um, this weekend as well. So you know, Cone could have a really good day playing a quarter and a half and finding Michael Mayer down for 30 yards, finding Avery Davis down the post. Like you don't, I assume he's not going to be incredibly well protected. Um, if, if they divide the offensive line, it hurts more too. You know, if Jack Cone gets two starters and three backups and Drew Pine gets three starters and two backups Neither one of them is overly well protected against this defense. You wonder how the offensive line will be drafted or put together to allow them to compete against the defensive line. Yeah, which leads us to our next question from Wash ND. What will the number one offensive line configuration be in the spring game? I'm not sure that we're going to – I mean, maybe they want to do that. It's another opportunity to have those guys working together. And in recent practices, we've seen from left to right, Fisher, Spindler, Correll, Kristoffic, and – Baker, I don't. We don't know if Lug will play. He's coming off what I believe to have been a hamstring that that prompted him to miss a couple practices. I think Baker's looked a lot better right tackle than left tackle. You know, Gibbons. We really haven't seen Gibbons with the first unit in a while. He's been doing handling second team snaps at center. I'm getting away from the question, but I, we're not really sure exactly yeah. how they're going to configure them for the for the blue goal game. I think you yeah. I mean, it's, the question is more like, you know, what do we think it's going to be at Florida State, right? Because like, what happened? What we see on Saturday, the relevance of that, is, I think, is 
fairly low because of you, know, you got Patterson and Love's injury, which you just mentioned. Yeah, I would like to propose a, a a grouping, and I think I said this on the message board the other day, to take advantage of your skill and to keep everybody help, happy at the same time. And that would be Patterson at left tackle, Spindler at left guard. Well, not everybody, but Patterson at left tackle, Spindler at left guard, Corral at center, Fisher at right guard, and Lug at right tackle. Now, they haven't practiced like that, of course. Well, we don't, Patterson's exactly. not out there. Yeah. But I think that would, you know, and then if you want to move, if you want to move Baker to left tackle where he's looked very good, you can do that in 2022. If you want to start Gibbons, I know some people say, well, the veteran guy is going to start against Florida State. That's a, that's a strong possibility, too, because he is, he is stronger and more knowledgeable of everything being in the program, you know, four more years than those, those freshmen. But all things being equal, you know, do you play a freshman that you know is going to be very good and can hold his own over a guy that whose ceiling is a little bit less? What do you guys think it'll be by the fall? I think the starting lineup in the fall will be Blake Fisher at left tackle, Jared Patterson at left guard, Zeke Carell at center, and then they'll have decisions to make about Kristofik or Spindler at right guard and Lug or Baker at right tackle. And then whoever is not the right tackle is playing both because I, I think that relying on Blake Fisher to go bell to bell at Florida state when it's 95 degrees out, um, you gotta have, you gotta have some guys ready to in reserve there. Yeah. I, I would be surprised at Florida state if you're, Dylan Gibbons doesn't start at one guard position as a 23-year-old fifth-year senior that's played in games as opposed to having Kristoffic out there. Um, I, I mean, I Or, or Spindler. Yeah, I, I don't... Uh, Have we even seen him at right guard? Not that only, that, He not played that right that guard matters. against Syracuse. Is the only time oh, yeah, he played I, I, mean, yeah, I yeah. meant in the spring, yeah. Now, um, and getting back to the spring question, I would have Gibbons play center most of the game to see if he can be your backup center because otherwise you have to figure out your backup center out of, what, Carmody and... Pat Coogan. So yeah. Dylan Gibbons yeah. should be attached to snapping to make sure they have the, uh, I mean, I know it could be Jarrett Patterson if it's long-term, but you don't want to, I think Gibbons could jump in and be a backup center, obviously. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I don't, I'm not changing too much from that. There's a, that there is a job share at one of the tackle spots, which is kind of what Pete said, I guess, with Baker Fisher. Uh, you don't want Fisher going 80 snaps in, in Florida state. And I think over the course of all those games, it might help them not to be going 80 snaps. The key is a healthy Patterson, and then you go from there, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, Patterson. Patterson's versatility is kind of hurting him right now because they know he can play anywhere. You can put him in any one of those positions. I mean, you, you can't normally say that because, you know, the center position factors in. Well, he has experience at that yeah. position. Yeah, and so Carell you know now being a center over. hurts him too, doesn't it? Like, it's – Right. Has you know, to play center. Yeah. And I know that yeah. people are like, well, why would you put your best offensive lineman at guard in Patterson? It's so uh, you would do that so that you would have the best combination of five. I mean, you'd, if they don't like lug at guard, right. you know, that, you know, Patterson will play it well. And that's antiquated too, Tim. 2017, the best <laughs> offensive lineman was a left guard. Now I realize he's generational, but 2018, the best offensive lineman was a right guard. And Alex Bars before he got hurt. 2020, mm-hmm. I know it was a left tackle, but the left guard might have been 1B, right? And Aaron Banks. I mean, 
guards are important. <laughs> this isn't just like getting an NFL contract for being a blindside left tackle anymore. I don't, I don't get that notion anymore. I, I, I really don't either. I, I don't understand. I mean, pe- people look at, at the guard position, like it's a hand me down. I, I just, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get that. I, I don't get that. I realize there's more money at left tackle on the next level, but. But none of these guys are making money at left tackle for what they do in 2021. Right. Garrett Patterson wants to make a ton of money at left tackle. I don't think he's going to go be the Lombardi winner in 2021, his first year back after a foot surgery. I mean, I think he would have to play two years at left tackle, right? Or left I guard and left tackle. I don't yeah, know. It's, but it's I don't, a tough. I, I know what you're saying. I just don't, I don't get think, the – I don't think Garrett Patterson is going to be around for two years. No, but it's a hard – I mean, I think it should be, but I, it's a hard I, – I have trouble anyone convincing me that Jarrett Patterson goes to left tackle and he's a first-round draft pick this year. I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. Okay, then why why not play two years at left tackle? Try to uh, be you're like you're preaching yeah. to the choir here. Uh, Irish Math asks, am I right to be concerned that Tom Loy reported that Notre Dame is searching for a grad transfer wide receiver? To me, that implies that the praise of some of the receivers in spring practice may not be all that meaningful. I mean, I think you got to listen to what the praise was. The praise was, we like them, but we need them to be a lot better. Yeah. Like that, the the praise that Keys, Lindsey, and Wilkins got from Brian Kelly was not, we're going to go, these are playoff level, championship level receivers. It was, they're good, but we need to figure out how to get them to be great. And like that, that was not, that was not a like, we're good type of vibe for Brian Kelly. Right. It's been, there aren't a whole lot of uh, years we've gone into where I think they were totally comfortable. Obviously, 15, as Priester has pointed out a lot with, Will Fuller returning as a great player. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also Chris Brown was a senior. Amir Carlisle was a senior. Corey Robinson. Corey Robinson was a better player going into that year than he ended the year being. So, I mean, mm-hmm. preseason, we loved Corey Robinson. Um, and then I think they really liked Boykin Claypool Fink because Boykin was coming off the uh, great game. And remember, all they talked about all spring and all August was how good Boykin was. It wasn't like it, to the point where fans were questioning, how was he that good? <laughs> um, other than that, I don't feel like they often talk about receiving core as being in great shape in the spring i suppose claypool and fink in 19 were pretty obvious one two for yeah. all of us and for everybody well, playoff guys th- i mean think about what skoranek brought to the equation last year as a veteran football player he caught five touchdown passes to lead the team now i realize that those five came in two games but they the count. Vet- they count. yeah those count, those too, count the too. Vet- in the veteran presence of a of a receiver I mean, I understand why the question is asked because, yeah, you've heard good things. And I, I don't know that any of us – I mean, we've said they look good in spring practice. I don't know any of us projected that, you know, Lawrence Keyes is going to catch 60 balls this, this fall. I, just, I don't feel that way. That No, unless, I don't Unless no. it's Kevin Austin and, for, dear well, that, God, for three years of Kevin Austin, if Kevin Austin shows up and catches 55 balls, then Notre Dame's going to have a really that, good passing that game. Will, but, yeah, Ke- that, yeah, that name will come up in a question here uh, down the road. Not Jay Tafel one. Andy's defense under Clark Lee did a great job of avoiding the big play. Do you think Notre Dame will give up more big plays now that Marcus Freeman has installed a more aggressive defense? Having young corners on an island or press coverage isn't exactly a recipe for success. I love this question because I'm working on a story that deals exactly with that. <laughs> I love uh, questions that make me think of myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, that was part of the research that I was doing yesterday that prompted me to miss the podcast. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, 
You know, it's it's a great question because, I mean, Clark Lee was more keep the ball in front of you type of guy. They didn't blitz a whole lot. And Marcus Freeman wants to do that a lot. He wants to move things around up front and create havoc. Um, and so looking at what Cincinnati did in 2018, they were like, like if you look at plays allowed of 10 yards or more, 20, 30, 40, 50, uh, Cincinnati was in the top 35 in each one of those categories in 2018 2019 was a little bit of a transition for them defensively and so they struggled with some of those numbers and then last year I mean Cincinnati was 78th in the country in 40 yard plays allowed and 78th in the country in 50 yard plays allowed and they only played 10 games so there's some credence to that question uh, especially when you're playing that type of defense for the first time under a coordinator by the same token, if you create enough havoc up front, right. you are you are going to eliminate a lot of bad plays on the back end too. I agree with all that. I I don't look at big plays allowed as like really indicative of how good your defense was or wasn't. I mean, to me, I'm like scoring defense is important. Right. Obviously. If you're third, exactly if you're eighth in the country in scoring defense, and yeah, ultimately and that's, that's the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, you talked about sort of the the rebuilding year, reshuffling year in 2019. They had they were still very good in, you know, they weren't awesome in, um, you know, rush defense necessarily. But I mean, they were 28th. I think they were 30th or around 30th in scoring. Um, you know, I'm just looking at the, their passer rating was was third last year, and then in that rebuilding year, it was opponent passer rating was 15th. Um, so. I think the, the way that Freeman does it is you're going to give up some big plays, but obviously you're going to create a bunch. Um, you're going to get, you know, Tim O'Malley's probably going to be a lot of stuff this year. Um, you know, but there will probably be some 50, 60 yard plays against you mi- mixed in too. And Notre Dame is going to, going to live with that. And I think stuffs are the key because leaving the corners on an Island and press coverage isn't something you have to do if it's third and nine all the time. That's what you do on first and 10 when you're trying to get those stuffs and then you can be a little bit vulnerable. But if it's, if it's third and nine and you could find somebody to fill the Kyle Hamilton roll up front and you have that condor roaming the back, you can probably leave one guy on an island and let him take care of some of the messes, right? They, well, your front seven's good enough that you should be able to allow that condor to do a lot of ranging around back there. You know, for the record, Notre Dame last year defensively was terrible on big plays. You know why? Because they played Clemson twice in Alabama. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. When you try to break things down like that, you're like, man, Notre Dame's bowl season was so much better in 2013 with that defense. I wonder what happened. It was, they well, were like, yeah, they, were like yeah. they played Rutgers. They, they, they shut down Iowa State. What? What happened the next? Year? Yeah, what happened the next bowl game? Obviously, yeah. they don't know how to prepare for bowl games. It was out there. Did they not practice their anti-hurdle tackling drills? <laughs> Wreckers 33 hot after spending time with both coordinators last week, how would you rank the following in order of most likely to be Notre Dame's head coach, Clark Lee, Tommy Reese, Marcus Freeman, and the rest of college football or pro football too, I guess. I don't the know, field would be one. Yeah. Yes. Clark Lee would be two. I would put Reese third and Freeman fourth, although if you wanted to talk me into Freeman third and Reese fourth, I would be totally fine with that. 
I'm, I'm stuck trying to picture Devontae Smith and Najee Harris on the field in the Candy Grill Bowl with Iowa State right now. So I'm a little thrown <laughs> off by the, the hurdle to tackle practice. All right, get, that we... <laughs> gather yourself, O'Malley. Yeah, I just thought that had a bit of a rough game with those two. Um, yeah, the field is easily won for me. Clark Lee was the obvious too, except I don't like going to Vandy and having success. So I want, I want to see Clark Lee go to Vandy and have success. I think it's very difficult to do. Um, I think he's a great defensive coordinator and a great football coach. I would probably flip flop Freeman for Reese on that one. I I think the way Marcus Freeman could recruit as a head coach at Notre Dame and represent the university would be pretty pretty enticing. No, yeah, you I, talked me into it. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. And no disrespect to Tommy Reese because I do think he's no, going to be no, a quality yeah. offensive coordinator. But we're we're you know I mean we're talking about the head football coach at University of Notre Dame. And that's some pretty heady stuff. The field has to be number one just because of the percentages. And here's the other thing to keep in mind. We're talking about a, a decision that probably isn't made for another three or four seasons. Right. So that changes the mm-hmm. landscape completely. But if you ask me, like right today, I would say field one, Clark Lee two, Marcus Freeman, Freeman three, and Tommy Reese four. And again, no disrespect for Tommy Reese as a, as a football coach and as a, a football mind. Old hound dog, I sense a blossoming love affair with Drew Pine, even with one writer on another site. I don't know what this reference is, but I'm anxious to find out. Pine is the ultimate overachiever, and there's a lot to admire there. But for the life of me, I can't imagine Cone not winning the job. What's your take? How have they looked? And is Cone an upgrade over Book? Well, Cone's going to win the job. I think we all are pretty confident of that. And and it's I said this in the, the film review the other day. I don't think it's anything because that Drew Pine is not doing per se throws a very catchable ball he's a leader everybody has everybody has confirmed that but uh Cone will win the job they've both look good Buckner's look good at times again we're only getting snapshots and is Cone an upgrade over book as a passer in the pocket yes as a maneuverable quarterback trying to get side out of the playmaker outside of the pocket no he's not as good as book so and I think most people would say oh, we'll choose the one that can throw it better. Um, I will remind everybody that in 18 starts, for whatever this is worth, Jack Cohn has more losses than Ian Book had in 35 starts. It's not. It's a. I don't really mean to. No, I don't use I that stat as a definitive statement, but I'm just saying be careful what you wish for when you have a quarterback that won 87 percent of the time. I think that Jack Cohn lost a lot of the same games that Ian Book lost, right? Like the Ohio State, Oregon, Oregon mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the higher end competition was was a real struggle for him at times. So that I I can't imagine Jack Cohn not starting against Florida State. I just I cannot get my head around Drew Pine definitively beating out a guy who started 18 Big Ten games and won. For a Big Ten <laughs> opponent and won twelve games, and um, how would he? How, I mean, how he doesn't? How would he beat him out? I mean, it's like uh, he, he hasn't played. He, that's. I mean, you go back to the clips um, and say, and you were saying like, if you're not, if you're watching sixty minutes of, or what do we have? Yeah, about sixty minutes by the end of it, right? Fifty, fifty-five minutes. Like, I feel like we see Jack Cohn with the ones way more than we see Drew Pine. So, and every time we ask the coaching staff about the quarterbacks and leave it open-ended, they, they give you an answer about Jack Cohn first, and they give you an answer about Drew Pine second. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, it's just impossible for me to, to 
imagine Drew Pine going and getting Jack Cohn because I think Jack Cohn is probably got the biggest learning curve of, of those quarterbacks in, of, well, between him and Pine, not Buckner, just because he's new to the system. Like he should be a lot more uh, experienced and comfortable in, in what Reese wants to run in July than he was in April and a lot more in August than he was in June. Like, I just think that there's a, there's a big arc there for Jack Cohn. These are related. So I'll move to the next question. Cause I do have a point about Pine going to get Cohn. Rob Ebert asks after the Kaiser Zaire debacle, will the new, the new Brian Kelly wouldn't let Pine and Cohn paddle and play out through the fall camp. Would he? Why don't you go ahead and an- go ahead and answer? Well, here's why I don't think Pine can go get Cohn. He doesn't have a differentiator like EM Book's legs to go get Cohn, where the staff will say, you know what? Jack Cohn is completing 2% more of his passes because they do chart every single thing. He reads pre-snap 1% better. But man, that Drew Pine just keeps running out of trouble and making plays for us. I don't think that exists. So I don't I, I don't see why Pine would catch Cohn, the veteran. Whereas if you gave Drew Pine Malik Zaire's legs and everything else was Drew Pine, you might say, oh, man, I don't know. We might just want to take those free eight yards every time he drops back and runs for it, you know? Yeah. And that's which was what they did with, with Book for a couple of years. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. As it relates to the question about Kaiser Zaire, it's two different situations. I mean, Zaire had already won the starting job and then was injured. Uh, I don't think that there's virtually any way that you allow that competition to continue to to be open-ended through August. There was placating of Zaire at that point, right? There's no doubt about that. And it was, I mean, I think we all felt it was in detriment to the team going in. And that's exactly what the Texas, man, that Texas game was just on both sides of the football. <laughs> A long time ago, was, it feels like. <laughs> was, we're talking about the opener 2016. When you think about the decision-making that was made <laughs> on both sides of the football that day, yikes! That wasn't that wasn't one of the one of the program's better moments, or one of the current coaching regime's better moments. No. Even USC. if they had won that, even if they had won that game, <laughs> yeah, they, we still had to do so. They still had to do something, <laughs> didn't they? <laughs> well, you wrote about it. I don't think it was only because they lost. You're like, you got to make a change. I man. said, There's I no... said something I've never said in my life. Fire the damn defensive coordinator. <laughs> the first the game. This is one of those times. It's it's rare. We always talk to Bray about this. You know how coaches always know more than the than the reporters and the fans. Mike Bray's admitted, you guys are right. Bonzi Colson should have been playing earlier. <laughs> and in this case, we were right. You guys should have gotten rid of Van Gorder before you brought him back. And we are also <laughs> right that Rob Kerr shouldn't have played his freshman year, too. Okay. I don't think that's getting as readily admitted. So <laughs> DOC Irish. If Jack Cohn is able to throw vertically more consistently than book, and this is pure speculation based upon height and arm strength. Which wide receiver emerges as Cohn's Quintus Cephas at Notre Dame? Uh, I think it would be Austin if you're talking about a wideout. But, I mean, it's, I still believe that Michael Mayer is going to lead the team in receptions because it's the ultimate security blanket. But, I mean, if you're looking for a – you know, I, these, I, these questions aren't – I mean, there isn't always necessarily a person that will be the Quintus Cephas at, at Notre Dame. But I think if it's anybody – it probably has to be a it has to be a healthy Kevin Austin. I don't think that there's another option for the Quintus. I mean, Quintus Cephas was a big dude. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, from and that so standpoint, yeah. Kevin Austin, but I mean, if you if you told Notre Dame, hey, this season you're gonna have you're gonna have the ability to have a healthy Austin 
with a healthy mayor and then Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree out there at the same time. If those four options are out there at the same time for Jack Cohn, I mean, that was kind of the, the root of my question of Brian Kelly last weekend about sort of spinning off Tommy Reese and one-on-one matchups, like for mayor is like, is it, is the issue there drawing up new plays for mayor to put on one-on-one matchups or is it finding a better second, third and fourth option? And if your second, third and fourth option are Austin, Kyron Williams or Chris Tyree, that's an exciting offense. Um, I don't care who your quarterback is at that point, but that that's where I think you could really see this offense take off. I mean, Austin's the only choice for Quintus, Quintus Cephas. Uh, there's, it's just the physical problem. Yeah, I mean, if you're making like the that, physical but, comparison, I don't yeah. think it, none of us are underestimating Avery Davis and his just potential not impact. That type of a player. He's although just, Clemson yeah. did it with Rodgers last year, they're although uh, I guess Powell eventually became the guy. He became the Quintess Cephas for, for Clemson down the stretch. If Notre uh, Dame has uh, Clemson's quarterback, I could see somebody becoming the Quintess Cephas for Notre Dame as he throws 80-yard darts. Either of them. Time. Either of them, yeah. yeah both either of, one both of them. Five. The second guy had a stronger arm than the first <laughs> yeah, and He's yeah. going to be the first pick in the damn draft <laughs> side, or Thursday. Speaking of which, question from Terry Benedict, Haskins, Burrow, Fields, Ohio State will soon have three quarterbacks who they recruited and landed that will have been drafted in the first round. Is it recruiting, evaluation, or system that drives them to Ohio State? How, how can Notre Dame do the same? It wasn't that long ago that Notre Dame was landing elite quarterbacks. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting question because – Burrow transferred out, but Fields transferred in, um, you know, and they, they've had quarterbacks who have not really worked out. I mean, Tate Martell was the guy there for a minute. Um, so I, I think it's shrewd evaluation um, in terms of recruiting, but I also think it's probably even shrewder in terms of talent acquisition. I mean, Ryan Day could have been like, looked at Martell and said, you know, we can go with this guy, but he's like, no, we're going to, we're going to go with Justin Fields and blow up our quarterback room. Um, which I, yeah, I don't know, well. did, did, the, did the timing work out where I, I don't know if Haskins won the job and Burrow left then, or it was when they got, went and got Fields. And that's why, that's why I don't remember that, but Haskins winning the job was happening before. For that, right? I mean, what I think it was Haskins yeah, oh yeah, yeah. winning. Haskins yeah. won the job, so Burrow left. I think yeah. that was the competition <laughs> right. they had. Right. <clears throat> well, I mean, Notre Dame signed the 83rd prospect in the country in 2018 in Phil Dracovic, and then the 70th prospect in the country, Tyler Butner, arrived here this spring. So it's not like Notre Dame hasn't gotten any prospects. The Dracovic thing was, I mean, probably in retrospect was – mishandled the the way the whole relationship deteriorated Um, and Butner's here now. So, I mean, I don't know what to say. I, Ohio state, Ohio state, Alabama and Clemson are developing the most NFL players in the country right now. And um, two of those teams are having the most postseason success. So, um, you know, better evaluation, better job of recruiting, uh, better coaching, those are better, all very basic things, but and better job of evaluating and recruiting wide receivers because Ohio State, LSU, and Ohio oh, State geez. had some yes. awfully good wide receivers. Yes. Great point. Those guys. Yeah. yeah, I did like sort of a if you just ranked the the receivers 
on Notre Dame and Ohio State's roster by the recruiting ranking, one to ten. I believe it went eight straight for Ohio State and then Notre Dame and then another Ohio State. I mean, so Austin, or Johnson's the highest rated. Notre John, Dame. Johnson was the highest one. So they essentially, Ohio State has eight guys higher ranked than Jordan Johnson. And then Austin's pretty close to Johnson. Yeah, Austin would be sort of off the off the back end of it. Yep. Question from DMB346. Which is a higher number, Kyron Williams rushing touchdowns in 2021 or Michael Mayer receiving touchdowns? And I would I imagine know. the question is being asked because of the the offensive line disparity at Notre Dame mm. from last year to this year. Yeah, uh, I still got a Kyron Williams. Um, I am going to go out on a limb yet again, even though I said I never would. I do think Michael Mayer might set the uh, <laughs> tight end touchdown record Notre Dame this year uh, with seven. I cannot believe it's still six. And with Kyle Rudolph, Tyler Eifert. It's unbelievable. Cole Komet, and it's still six. And it was set in 1978. That's how good Ken McAfee was. So uh, it's still going to be, I say, Kyron Williams. And I think the question could involve, like, you know, Kyron Williams will get rushing touchdowns, offensive line, Tim, Chris Tyree will get some touchdowns. I still got to go Kyron Williams over Michael Mayer. I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I still, you know, Notre Dame had 33 rushing touchdowns last year. I'm sure that they won't. They won't, I wouldn't say they wouldn't approach it, but they, they won't surpass that this year, even with the extra game. But, book help, uh, book help too. He was a guy that'll. Oh, there's no, yeah, he had too. nine. Most of, uh, more than half of his rushing touchdowns came, came last year. Uh, and again, we will not see, we won't see Jack Cohn score more than a, more than a couple uh, right. rushing touchdowns, I wouldn't imagine. Drew Brennan, 77. Is this the year Isaiah Foskey breaks out? I thought last year would be the one which it seemed like it for a few games, but then he trailed off. Hope so. Um, And I I agree with the trailed off sentiment as well. Although I think it's interesting looking back at his season, the, some of the big plays he made, how often he was just unaccounted for, like that's that's probably not going to happen anymore. Yeah. So different. I think that was early in the season, right? When we were, yeah, yeah. you you pointed it out, Tim. If nobody blocks him. Yeah. He's going to have, He's going to keep having a great year, but uh, you know, I mean, I think you have to. And I said that too. I, I, I thought that he, he tailed off there uh, on occasion. He did finish second on the team in sacks with four and a half. Adeyemi had seven, but you do have to account that account for the fact that you know Dalen Hayes was ahead of Foskey right. on the depth chart, so he was always going to get more snaps as long as he was healthy. But it's a legitimate question, and and they absolutely need him to be. He needs to be the leading sack guy. Yeah, it's he's, a legitimate he's a question. In. I mean, but let let's give you know Creed's. He was a redshirt freshman that had played four games mm-hmm. going into the year. Uh, we talked him up because we really liked him as a pro prospect as a redshirt freshman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we guys said he tailed off. Pro Football Focus gave him eighteen uh, pressures, ten in the first three games. So that lends credence to trailing off or tailing off. I think you got to remember every position, man. We everybody wanted Lawrence Keys and. Braden Lindsay to be great players as a redshirt freshman too. And here we are talking about keys after a couple of years as the breakout senior. Hopefully Isaiah Foskey's a year ahead, right? As a redshirt sophomore slash true junior, he could be the breakout player because they really need they weren't as good at rushing the passer last year as they were the last the previous two years. And it's hard to argue against that mm-hmm. reality. We now turn our attention uh down the stretch here to the the NFL draft coming up this weekend. Although I do want to slip in the fact that the, one of the most incredible, we said this two weeks ago when Notre Dame came back from a seven nothing 
deficit against Georgia Tech in baseball. They scored, they were down nine to nothing and scored 12 runs in the top of the eighth at Boston College to beat Boston College. So this is my little baseball plug. But we move into the, the draft, and it's Nick 2014 who says, if you were a financial advisor for Notre Dame's NFL draft hopefuls, would you have advised any of them to return for another year? There's two options, right? Tremble and, ba- and Banks. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't, in, I didn't think of Banks really per se, because I think that he's a high enough rated guard that yeah. now, you know, the scenario had he come back as a left tackle that might've created some other things. I don't think Aaron Banks was ever going to be a left tackle on the NFL level though. So I'm That's not true. sure. Yeah. Uh, Who'd you say besides Banks? Tremble? Tremble. Tremble, you could advise to come back. But, you know, he's... He was given a second-round grade as far as we know. Exactly. And, you know, one other thing with Tommy Tremble, the way they used him as a hammer, that's a rough life two years in a row for a team that's going to... If they're going to use you the same way, I know they would throw to him more, but that's that's some buildup on your body you don't need if you're Tommy Tremble, right? Going hammering people for 12 straight games, 60 snaps... That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say he had. I wouldn't say he had one foot out the door when the season started, but he was already looking toward the door. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that. We said that in the preseason that if he has a decent year, he's going to leave. He didn't have a decent year numbers wise. He had a great uh, year as a blocker, though. But he had an, yeah. an incredible yeah. year as a blocker. Pete, what do you think? I I wouldn't argue with Tremble. I just I don't know if he's suddenly going to jump up and be Kyle Pitts, especially with Mayer on the roster. Yeah, um, yeah. I think Banks would have had a, an opportunity to move up. I'd be interested, you know, if Robert Hainsey moved to center. Let's say Robert Hainsey was a center on yeah. this team. You know, does he go from a fifth round pick to a second round pick? Maybe, um, but I think I agree with O'Malley. Banks to me is the guy that could have moved the most. I think that. I, I, I think that's a good point about Hainsey. I think Hainsey probably showed enough at the senior bowl that, that will kind yeah. of mitigate that. The two guys, the two guys I wrote down, I mean, you know, Skoranek could certainly use a, could have used a full healthy year, um, you know, at Notre Dame and, and maybe, maybe Nick McLeod, although he ran a sub four, four, um, where was that at the, at the other bowl game, um, he so, had to get out for his shoulder, though, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get that. I mean, I just try, just in trying to answer the question. I still, and we're going to give our predictions as to where these guys are going to be drafted. I just still find it, I find it hard to believe that Tommy Trumbull is a top three round guy as a blocker. I, I, I I'm They'd sure he's capable. He be, yeah, he's fat. I, I mean, they probably believe he could become a. a no, I yeah, I get that, and he should feel he should feel that he can become a, a competent catcher of the football it's just uh and i will predict him to still be up there because that's where everybody else has him and you know but uh you know i just uh i i, I don't know i i don't know i hope for the best for him because he is a warrior there's no doubt about it maddie mill 324 name one indie player you were shocked didn't have a better nfl career and one you were shocked at how well he did i, I my two we, would be I don't know. Brady Quinn is the guy that I thought would have, I mean, he had almost no NFL career. Um, I'm not saying he would have been a hall of fame quarterback, but I would have thought he would have played in the league for much longer. Um, and Matthias Farley would be the other end of the spectrum. Oh, good one. I hadn't thought of that, but there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a- Just the fact that he had an NFL career at all is shocking to me. And he's had a really nice one for himself. 
I mean, it's hard to get past Farley. That I had not thought of. Uh, Brady Quinn, modern, and then Chris Zorich was one of the best players I've ever seen in my life uh, growing up. I thought Zorich would have a, uh, you know, consistent all-pro career that, that Brian Young ended up having. He kind of that, that Brian Young impact where you're Hall of Famer, basically, and I thought Zorich would be that. Um, Brady Quinn, modern. I thought Brady Quinn would be a pretty good quarterback. I, I, how- I, I, I pegged Clawson for not being athletic enough, but I thought Brady Quinn was strong enough and athletic enough to become a quality player. Yeah, but you know what? Brady Quinn was not. I know. That was, I know, he, I know. he wasn't accurate enough. I mean, if you go mm-hmm. back and if you go back and look as great a year, two years as he had, 2005 and 2006, the accuracy that you need on the NFL level is just off the chart. Now, I think we've had we've had a question similar to this. Um, Kavari Russell as a third round draft choice, I mm. thought would have a much more productive NFL career. Like Farley, <laughs> he could at least be Farley and start, yeah. right? Yeah, Tim, what yeah. do you want to insert? I was going to say the thing about Quinn is look around the league and like when you're watching Brady Quinn play in college, and then you watch Kirk Cousins play in college, and he's the richest quarterback in the world. You're like, you know, Brady Quinn, I thought maybe it would be better <laughs> than Kirk Cousins coming out, right? And these, there's legit. so many quarterbacks. No, that's legit. For instance, there might be a quarterback selected too high on Thursday that is going to resonate in the Tim O'Malley Monday musings for the next year and a half. And if that happens, we did may have to change who, Monday musings. So. Did you hear who Charlie Weiss is all in on? Mac Jones. Uh, I don't Jones, know huh? The 11th best player on the he was 11th best player on this offense at his school so that's what you're going with right now that's that's what you need okay the best <laughs> offensive line in the country the best receivers in the country the best running back in the country and the best coaching staff in the country but have you broken down with. his film for your, your daily radio show that charlie weiss has on national <laughs> no oh okay okay that's that's, that's, <laughs> that's just... fine that's great you know what's going to look like his film different because not he's not gonna be like this no smith uh, no, Waddle's not open. Hang on. <laughs> Harris, I gave the ball to Harris last time, and the line's still blocking and throwing people around. And then you could finish I, the, your answer different. to this. You could finish your answer to this question on our next episode of the podcast. Yeah. You have that long. <laughs> All right. That's, yeah. that's true. Uh, guys yeah. that were better than I thought, and Farley's a, a great choice. Uh, Bennett Jackson's still playing in the league, man. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's no call. small feat. I, th- I think TJ Jones has carved out. I'm not sure where he is in his career. I now, believe he he may be retired. He, he may be point. he may be now. Uh, Theo had a good I'm, I'm going I'm going to go back a little bit here real quickly, and then we'll get to our last question. John Sullivan, I did not expect to have no good one long great career that he had with the Vikings. Um, did you expect Justin Tuck to be the pro that he was? He was no, a, he was the best was player phenomenal. on the field and the most famous Super Bowl ever. That's yeah. pretty important. And then I'll throw one more out, David Given, David uh, Givens. With the Patriots, I will. I'd throw just Romeo Aquara, I thought would hang around in the league for a while. Um, however, he, I believe, is currently on a uh, $30 million, $30 million contract, which (laughs) I did not think was probably going to be in Romeo Aquara's future. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of these. Like, I, I thought Zach Martin was going to be a really good pro for 10 years. I didn't know he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer the second he finished yeah. his second or his sixth season. That's remarkable. Yeah. Um, we got to throw a plug in for JJ Jansen, who I didn't know would still be snapping after 47 years. So, good one. Also on there. I would have probably gone a long ways before remembering JJ Jansen, but <laughs> good for him. He's had a, if there's a, if there's a Hall of Fame for long snappers, he's in it. Okay. Last question. And I'm going to, uh, expedite this process here a little bit 
And the question is from Judge Arthur Vandelay, final NFL draft predictions. I will say the player, you tell me what's going to happen with his respective draft this weekend. We'll start with tight end Brock Wright. Uh, Undrafted. Okay. Sean Crawford, safety, corner, nickel. Undrafted. Free agent. Javon McKinley. Undrafted. Free agent. Tommy Kramer. Undrafted. Uh, Round seven. Okay. Uh, I'm in agreement with all of you up to this point. I will say, I will say Kramer round seven because of size and experience. Good Lord. This seems. Uh, Nick McLeod. Six. I'm going to. I'm going to say undrafted because of the medicals. That's what I was going to say. The speed might get him drafted over the medicals. So that's why I would do late sixth. And well, he's a player. And he's a player. He, I, I mean, can't, I can't yeah. say both Kramer and McLeod getting drafted because then I'm a homer. So I guess I right. say Kramer <laughs> drafted. So I'll say McLeod pre-age. I mean, definitely is in a camp. Oh, uh, wide, sure. re- wide receiver Ben Skronik. Undrafted. Un- undrafted. Undrafted for me. I th- I think that there's enough there for a seventh round. Okay, now you talk about medicals. Dalen Hayes, defensive end. Uh, that's a good one. I he's a, he's a he's a tough one for me to project. I mean, he really is. I I'll go seventh with him. I'll go sixth again. I'm a big fan of the sixth round here with Dalen Hayes and Nick McLeod. Kramer in the seventh. That's how I am right yeah. now. I'll say Hayes in the sixth. Most people are saying we'd be crazy that he's going to go much higher than that. Uh, and then another difficult one. Ian Book. Seventh. Same thing I said in June on a podcast. Seventh. Staying right there. Uh, I will agree with that. Ade Ogundeji. Sixth. Measurables are good. So I, I think that he's he sneaks in that room. Yeah, I could even see fifth for Ogundeji. I I have him fifth. I, I de- and I and I think the measurables mm-hmm. could possibly bump him up to the fourth, but I will I will say fifth. Robert Hainsey, interior offensive lineman now. I go fifth. I was gonna say fifth as well, so I'm with Pete. You know, I'm gonna say fourth. His strength was really good. He's bigger than you think. You when like when you see the composition of his body he's got a short torso which is perfect for interior i'm going to say fourth tommy trumbull tight end fourth third fourth i'll go fourth i will say late third aaron banks offensive guard third third as well middle of the third i'm being a little specific here uh (laughs) We're down to two. Liam Eichenberg, tackle slash guard, I guess. Second. Someone smart. Late second. Second, second round. Somebody smart out there. Good pick in the second. Yep. Uh, within the top 50 picks, second round. Yep. And then Jeremiah, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. Return to school. Make the defense better. <laughs> that's your, that's your suggestion? Yep, that's my, that's my prediction. You're I his think financial be, advisor. I think it'll be a great day for Notre Dame fans Thursday and Owusu Kormo find a loophole. No, uh, I'm going to say first round. <laughs> I, would, I think first round, I don't have the draft order in front of me, but kind of in the low 20s, and by low 20s, I mean like 20th through 24th, somewhere in, the, in that realm. 
maybe I'm being influenced by some mock drafts that I've seen, but I keep seeing some good um, press in terms of a good fit for the Las Vegas Raiders. They have yeah, the 17th. 17th. I think 17th. Somebody asked, unless they made a move, Pete, <laughs> yeah, Pete and I were asked that question on Twitter. And he's the guy thought Uso uh, Cormo would go to the Raiders. But uh, yeah. I would be a disingenuous um, draft advisor for Uso Cormo to get him back at Notre Dame to watch him uh, win the Heisman as a fifth-year senior. So would you take would you take JOK in the third pick over uh, Mac Jones? Yes, yeah, yes. There's no <laughs> doubt about it because you can get you, you don't need to get Mac Jones there. You didn't need Gino Toretto in the whatever round he went in either in the fifth round or whatever. Good God, what are we doing here? I thought we'd end on a high note with O'Malley <laughs> with, with that one. Hey, we appreciate yeah. you joining us today. Uh, hey, trade it up. Up. Tune into the – you don't know that they're going to pick Mac Jones. I'm just preparing myself for – Maybe maybe yeah. Urban's going to pick Mac Jones. There you go. That would be uh, – I think Jack Freeman is going to be in tears on the Bears trade-up to pick Mac Jones. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I, have have hope, I have hope the Bears can trade up again. There's – I have a little bit of faith in Charlie Weiss, but as I said in response to a, a message board uh, thread, even the best evaluators are wrong. So we'll see what happens this weekend. Hey, thanks for joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.